As always, I want to welcome you tonight to our Bible study for Sunday evening. Uh, we've got a few that are joining in with us now, so we're going to give a few more minutes and wait for a few more to join us. So uh, let's uh, make sure tag a few people and get the word out that we are doing this Bible study here tonight. Uh, I see a few have joined in with us. I see Andrea's joined in now. Uh, hello to you. Hope everybody's had a good afternoon so far and a good Lord's Day. Uh, see, Pam is now joining in with us. I hope she's had a great afternoon so far. Um, I will say this, I'm happy I got a, a good nap in today, and so praise the Lord for that. Sister Martha is now joining in. Uh, thank you for watching with us as well. Uh, Grace, I, I'm glad you're there. Jean, I see you're there. Uh, Luna's there. Thank the Lord for each of you joining in with us tonight. Uh, it's funny, when you're younger, naps are a punishment, and the older you get, the more it's a reward instead of a punishment. Uh, but we had a great service this morning, and uh, if you're a part of our drive-in service, we thank you for being a part of that. Uh, and I'm sharing this Bible study on my personal page, um, and uh, I will also share it to our Mountain Springs Baptist page when I'm done. But pretty much anybody that's on the Mountain Springs Baptist page is on my personal page, so, uh, so it really doesn't make a big difference either way. Uh, I did it on my page tonight, like I said, Wednesday night, same idea. Um, I've got about 3,000 folks on my personal page, and so trying to just get the message out as far as I can. Uh, you can help a lot with that on your end by making sure anytime that we have a live stream service, uh, whether it's a worship service or a Bible study like this, make sure that you share this on your personal page. Um, I stand by anything I say, and it's not that I'm, uh, I'm always right or anything like that, but I'm not worried about anything I say getting out public. Uh, in fact, I, th that doesn't worry me in the least. So make sure you share this, uh, these Bible studies with your friends, share it on your page, tag some folks that you might know um, that might be interested in a study like this on prophecy, on revelation in the last days. Uh, and uh, I'm glad that we're able to do that. So uh, we've got now about 12 or 13 or so that have joined in with us, and I'm kind of looking back between my monitor and, and the camera, so if you see me looking away, that's what I'm doing. I, I, my eyes are pretty good, but they're not so good that I can always read the comments on my uh, camera, so I have to look kind of on my monitor. It's a little bit larger so I can see the comments that are there. What tonight's going to be is an introduction to Revelation. Um, as I've been asked by several to begin this study, I'm going to do that uh, starting tonight, and I'm on purpose doing it on Sunday night and on Wednesday night. Uh, because uh, we're kind of killing two birds with one stone. It's a 22-chapter book. Uh, even tonight, there's no way that I can get through the first chapter in one study tonight. Some chapters will go faster, some will go slower. Uh, but I don't like dragging something out. You're not going to be sitting here watching me teach Revelation uh, for the next six months. So I'm going to try to get through it as fast as we can by being respectful to the material that's inside Revelation and the things that I believe the Lord would have us to know. Uh, in order to, to make the best use of my time and your time, I will be doing this uh, on live stream Wednesday night and Sunday nights for the foreseeable future, unless I make a different announcement. Uh, I may have to take one of the chapters that we're going through and use an off night during the week, perhaps, uh, to, to sit here and teach during that night. Uh, but the good thing is about social media, with these type of uh, opportunities, uh, with live streaming, 
is the fact that it's once it's recorded, it's out there. Unless Facebook deletes it, nothing would surprise me anymore. Uh, but unless they delete it, uh, otherwise it's there. So the fact that it's there, it's not like when you come in on a worship service on a Sunday morning and you hear the message and you leave. Well, that, that service is gone unless you get a video copy of the service somehow. So uh, I'm going to number these lessons, and I'm going to make sure that you're aware that uh, that this lesson is the introduction tonight, for example. If we get through part of chapter number one, I'll put up there, you know, introduction, chapter one, verse, through whatever. And I'll do that so that if you have to work, or you're on vacation, or you're out of town, or whatever, if you want to go back and kind of catch up on a lesson that you may have missed, then you can go back to that lesson and watch the video again, and by watching the video again, uh, you can get kind of caught up. So that is one of the pluses of having the ability to live stream and to put it out there on social media is you can kind of watch at your own discretion and at your own will. And, uh, and by doing that, it'll be a blessing to you and hopefully to others. And that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to help you. I'm here uh, to, to be a blessing to you. I hope that I am. I hope that these lessons are. You're certainly a blessing to me by watching and by all the comments I get each and every day. So thank you for that. Uh, a couple announcements I will uh, want to give you before we get into the book tonight. Uh, one is, I was told by Brother Charles, and I see Charles is watching now, that the Sunday School literature for your quarterlies are in your rooms. And so if you'd like to come in during the week and get your quarterlies, if you'd like to pick those up, then just let me know. I'll be glad to open up the church for you so you can come in and get your Sunday School literature for the quarterlies. And uh, that leads to the next announcement. If you watched or if you're part of our live stream service, uh, parking lot service this morning, um, we are trying to get back inside the church building. I'm sure we'll do it here quickly, as quickly as possible, but yet doing it as respectful as possible to, to the situation we're in. Uh, we'll be meeting about that Wednesday night. I'll make an announcement. We'll be meeting back indoors, but I know that we won't be uh, certainly this coming Sunday uh, and for a couple of Wednesdays at least. So we'll keep the live streams going even once we get inside the church building as well. Uh, but I'll keep that announcement posted, and we want to make that available to everybody, whether you're still wanting to stay home and you don't feel comfortable getting out or sitting in the parking lot or watching live stream, whatever. We're going to try to keep this ministry going as far as we can. I uh, also have a special announcement I wanted to tell you tonight. Uh, my parents, which uh, uh, many of you have followed my dad's page, uh, his Bible studies that he does from his office there in Arkansas, my parents are making a trip here uh, to Monroe this weekend, uh, this coming weekend. And I've asked my dad to preach Sunday morning, and my mom's going to sing. So you are in for a blessing. I don't say it because they're my parents. I say it because I'm around preachers and singers uh, all year in and out for the last, uh, you know, more than a quarter of a century. So please make sure you make plans to be here Sunday and we'll have a parking lot worship service Sunday morning. Unless that announcement's changed, that's where we'll be meeting. And my dad will be bringing a message, and uh, my mom will be singing, so you're in for a special treat. And uh, let's make them feel welcome coming here to Monroe for their first service worshiping here with us uh, all the way from, uh, from Arkansas. Um, I believe that's all the announcements I've got for tonight before we get study, uh, into our study. And we've got now uh, a solid group that's joined in with us. Uh, one thing I will tell you as well, I don't push the issue on everybody. I'm not a, a, a really dogmatic about it any time I study. But if you want to study along with me, you're going to need a pen or a pencil and some paper. 
Uh, if you want to take notes, then you need that because a lot of the material, I have to move quickly. Sometimes people will say, Ben, you talk so fast, I can't keep up. I'm doing my, the best I can with the time that I've got, uh, but that's why taking notes is always important. That's how I study. When I listen to another preacher or a teacher, I take notes. Uh, take notes. You can write down scriptures. If you can't turn to them right now, you can go back and turn to them later. Um, also, I, I'm not, like I said, I'm not real dogmatic about it all the time that I preach and teach. You're not going to hear me harp on it all the time. But just like any teacher in a classroom, if you were teaching high school math, if you were teaching, you know, college uh, biology, uh, in order for everybody to be on the same page, you can't just bring any biology book and expect to be on the same page. Well, the same is true when you're teaching the Bible. Um, I'm not telling you what translation you have to believe or have to use. But I use the King James Bible when I teach and preach. And if you're using anything else, you're not going to be on the same page with a lot of the information I'm going to give you. Because it's not worded the same way. It, things are, are missing. Things are changed. Things are altered. Uh, the best advice I could give you outside of pen and paper is make sure you have a King James Bible with you anytime that you're studying the Bible when I'm preaching or teaching so it's easier for you to follow along. At some point down the line, I'll teach on why I believe the King James Bible is the Word of God. Uh, on my shelf, I've got 70 plus, uh, maybe more than that, translations. But I stick by the King James Bible, and I believe it from cover to cover without any, uh, any reservation at all to make that statement. But especially when I'm teaching, uh, for you to be able to stay on the same page, get you a King James Bible. You can get them at a dime store. Uh, and uh, I, I use more than anything an old Schofield Reference Edition. Uh, it's an old 19, I think it's 1917 edition. Um, Schofield Reference Bible, not the new Schofield, the old Schofield. And the notes in there are solid. And uh, just like anything, I don't agree with everything that's in it. Uh, but there, that, that's the one that I give out more than any other Bible. That's the one I recommend more than any other Bible. A good study Bible, solid study Bible, an old Schofield Reference Bible. And so with, with that being said, let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer. And then make sure you've turned in your Bible to Revelation chapter 1, because that's where we're starting tonight. Revelation chapter number 1. But, uh, but let's go to the Lord in prayer. And if you have any special concerns that you need to lift up in prayer, and you don't mind other people being aware of those concerns, feel free to write in your comments uh, your prayer needs tonight. And all of us that are joining in would like to be able to pray for you and pray with you. Uh, and uh, I certainly have some. I've got some unspoken requests in my life. So feel free to do that. If it's something more personal, you can message me or email me. Uh, or give me a call. But if you'd like to mention those in the comments so others can pray for you, then please do that as well. So let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Lord, I want to thank you for this opportunity that I have to teach your word. Lord, I think back to when I was a child and I used to listen to preachers come in and do uh, Bible studies like I'm trying to do tonight. And I know, Lord, they weren't sitting in an office and they weren't doing a live stream service, but they were inside a, a church building. But Lord, I'm thankful for those men that were faithful to preach the Word of God and faithful to teach it. And, oh, God, it seemed like there's a shortage today. Uh, not of preachers, even though there is a shortage of preachers, but there's plenty of preachers out there, but there's a shortage of preachers that believe your Word and are willing to admit publicly, Lord, that they believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and they believe its stories, and they believe its prophecies, and they believe its miracles. And, Father, I thank you, Lord, for those that have paved the way for me. Lord, I don't claim any originality. I don't claim any uh, personal inspiration or anything like that. I just thank you for all that I've been able to, to gleam over the years uh, from those that have gone before me and just spending time in your word personally. 
And I thank you, Lord, that you allowed me to sit at the feet of some great men of God over the years. And some are still living. Some are still faithful to you. And I'm thankful for that. And Lord, we know that, uh, that your will is always best. And we know, Father, even what's going on in the world around us, you're not caught off guard. You're not shocked by it. You're not surprised by any of this. In fact, as I've read this week over and over again, you said these things must come to pass. They must happen. And Lord, we know that your word is going to be fulfilled. And I just pray that we'd take comfort and draw comfort from that tonight. Even as we took the Lord's Supper this morning, you said in that uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, you said that we take it often to show the Lord's death till he comes. Lord, we know you're coming back for us. And I pray that as we study Revelation, you would do what you promised to do. And that is give us a blessing for reading it. And Lord, may you bless those that have joined in tonight and bless those that will join in later. Lord, may we have open hearts and open minds to receive the word of God. And I pray, Lord, that it would not return void, but Lord, it would accomplish what you'd have it to accomplish. And I pray, Lord, that you, your Holy Spirit would be our instructor here tonight. Whatever the prayer needs are amongst those that are listening in, we just pray that you'd meet those needs as we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, let me tell you one other thing. We're going to get started. But uh, my phone, for some reason, overheated uh, in the recording of the worship service this morning. And so that's why there's two services and one's a normal angle. The other was kind of turned upside down. There ain't much I can do about that. If you know how to fix it, you let me know. Uh, but uh, it may do that again tonight. I'm indoors. I got a fan going, so I hope it won't happen. But if it shuts down or shuts off, then I'll try to get it going right back up as fast as I can on my same page. So just refresh the page and we'll go from there. But as we turn to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, there's quite a bit of information in this one book. Some people are afraid of Revelation. I've had people tell me before, I I'm not going to come to a study if you're teaching Revelation. And I've said, why? And they said, well, we just, we're scared of, of Revelation. I don't know why people are scared of it. Uh, maybe it's other preachers that have kind of uh, perpetuated that fear. Uh, they certainly shouldn't do that because we ought to be men and women of faith and not fear. Uh, but don't ever be afraid of Revelation. I'm not more afraid of Revelation than I am if I was studying the Gospel of John or if I was reading through the book of Psalms. It's all part of the Bible. It's all inspired of God. None of it's more inspired or less inspired. It's all inspired. Every word of it's inspired. None of it's more important or less important. It's all important. Some may be a little more relative to us, and some might be a little less relative than, to, to us based on the times that we're in. Uh, and I'll get to that in our study, but it doesn't matter. You'll hear me say over and over again, all Scripture is not uh, to us, but all Scripture is for us. Uh, and there is a big difference in that. Uh, the fact that some Scriptures are not written directly to Americans in 2020, uh, you know, May the 17th, uh, 2020, doesn't mean that it's less important or less scripture. It just means that it's not written to us. But it's in there because it's all for us. Every verse, every jot, every tittle, every iota, every, uh, you know, every punctuation mark, every chapter, every verse, it's there for a reason. God gave it to us, and it's all for us tonight. So keep that in mind as you study the book of Revelation. Uh, I know people that are afraid of prophecy, and I mentioned that in some of our prophecy uh, discussions throughout the past month or so. And they're scared to death of prophecy. Uh, no Christian should be scared to death of knowing where you are. If you're scared of where you are, then you're not in a right position. Uh, you shouldn't be scared of being at home. Home should be your safety place. That should be your, your comfort zone is in your home. That's where you ought to be comfortable. Well, at, when it comes to prophecy, it tells us where we are. 
It tells us what our future home is and where our future home is. And it tells us these things not to scare us or frighten us, but to encourage us and to bless us and to help us. So we shouldn't be scared of anything we're reading in the last days. Uh, and I know it's perilous times. I don't deny that. That's scriptural. But at the same time, even though it's perilous times, it's also comforting times. Uh, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15 to comfort one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, we, th this is our blessed hope, not our blessed, unfortunate fear. God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Uh, so if we're afraid of these things, we're not where we ought to be in our relationship with the Lord. We have to take comfort in the words of prophecy. And when we come to Revelation, we've got to approach it with that same concept of comfort, of peace, of a blessing, and not of fear. And the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, in my personal opinion, is the plainest book in all the Bible. I mean, it is absolutely plain. Its power, its authority lie within its clear teaching throughout the 22 chapters of Revelation. Uh, its future history and the history of mankind, both politically and spiritually, uh, gives us great comfort because we know who's in control. And yes, the devil is unleashed. And yes, the, the powers of this world and the principalities that are there are trying to overthrow the plan of God of the ages. But thank the Lord, we know tonight, he's not going to be successful. The devil is not going to be victorious. He is going to be defeated. We know what his final home is. And by the way, if you didn't have revelation, you wouldn't know what will happen to the devil. You'd have no idea. For example, we wouldn't know whatever will happen to the devil. He might continue to roam the heavens for all eternity. But it's the book of Revelation that tells us his final fate and his final outcome and doom. Uh, the book of Revelation is one of the most feared and hated and misunderstood books in all of the Bible. And it's because it gives clearly the details of the future of Satan, the future of the church, the future of the nation of Israel, the future of the Gentile nations, the future of uh, Catholicism, the future of the universe and what's going to take place to the universe. Do you know when you look up at the sky and you see a starry sky, those stars are not always going to be there. Do you know the way we see the planets and the heavens? They're not always going to be in that position. Do you know when we walk out from the earth, around the earth and we enjoy, like today, a beautiful day, the earth, the Bible says, is going to be renovated. I'm sure you can see in the chart behind me, there's three little uh, round circles right there where I'm pointing. And those three round circles that are there talk about the re, uh, regeneration of the earth. God's going to make all things new. Uh, there's coming a time where there's not going to be any more sea. And the former things are going to be passed away. The sun's not going to be a, 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 a place of heat anymore upon the earth. The night is not always going to be dark like it is. God's going to make these things change and make these things new, new. And as a result of that, we know from Revelation, God is in control. I'll tell you something about human history. Mankind resents being told their future. Mankind doesn't want to be told their future by an authoritative source. So they deeply resent any scripture that tells them about their future that seems negative. We're all in this positive kick today. And if it ain't positive, I don't want to hear it. You know, people want to plug their ears. And that's why the Bible says that in the last days they'll have itching ears. 
and they'll turn away from the truth and be turned into fables, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. They'll say, speak not unto us right things, but speak unto us smooth things. Uh, the reason why you don't hear a lot of the mainstream preachers today, and I use that term preacher loosely, uh, talking about things that the Bible tells us about, things like sin, the little three-letter word, uh, the little four-letter word, hell. When's the last time you heard Joel Olstein preach a message about hell? Uh, when's the last time you heard, you know, one of these preachers that, uh, you know, Joseph Prince get up and, and uh, take off, you know, his $500 designer blue jeans. And I've heard him say, he said, you know why I look this good? He said, because God made me beautiful and because I'm handsome, because I, God made me handsome. Well, you're not going to hear this preacher talk that way. And uh, the, the reason why they don't preach about sin and about judgment. You know, that's what Paul preached when he stood before the king there. He preached of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. He didn't tell him how handsome he was and how nice looking he was and how wonderful he was. He told him the truth. But mankind doesn't want to hear the truth. Anything that's deemed negative or prophecies that seem, uh, uh, you know, evil concerning them, they don't want to hear it. And so the book of Revelation is a closed book because of that. Because the book of Revelation doesn't hold anything back. It tells you the good things, but it also tells you the bad things. It tells you the pluses. It also tells you the negative side of things, the pros and the cons that are there. Yes, Revelation tells us about the new Jerusalem coming down from God as a bride adorned for her husband. Yes, Revelation tells us about the streets of gold and the walls of jasper and the gates of pearl. And it tells us about a place where the river of life runs freely from the throne of God. Yes, it tells us it's a place where there'll be no more sin, and where God himself will wipe away all tears from our eyes. But it also tells us about hell, and it tells us about Satan, and it tells us about the Antichrist, and it tells us about the beast, and it tells us about all those that will cry out uh, to God and blaspheme God, because they are God deniers, God rejecters, blasphemers, because they'll see what God's getting ready to do to this world. And instead of turning towards him, they're going to turn away from him. And so the world doesn't like the book of Revelation. There's two books in the Bible that even liberal theologians, liberal scholars, want to take out of our Bible. I mean, they want to take a bunch out. But I'm talking about it has been a mission, especially since about the 1960s, to move these books out of our Bible, to take them out. They don't want them as part of our 66 books, that what we call the canon of Scripture. One, in the fact that the most disputed book in the Bible is the book of Jonah. And they say it's a myth. They say that it's, a, you know, an allegory. It's just, there, there's no truth to it at all. And yet, surprisingly, it's the one book and the one prophet that Jesus himself uh, claimed to be connected with when he said, I'll, I'll, this generation, he said, is, a, is a, a perverse generation. He said, an adulterous generation that seeketh after a sign. And there'll be no sign given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Talking about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus attested to the legitimacy of the prophet Jonah and the book of Jonah. But yet they want that book out of our Bible. And the second book they want out of our Bible is the book of Revelation. If they could rip it out tonight, they'd rip it out. They don't want it in there. They want it out because it tells so much about the future of things that are coming to this world. And so I want us to think about the book of Revelation as we move forward.
Uh, for this reason, the book of Revelation has been the theological battleground and the, and the controversy battleground since the day that it was written. And, and think about it tonight. If the devil wanted you, uh, if he didn't want you to know his fate, wouldn't he want to take Revelation out of the Bible? If the devil didn't want you to know his future, his future plans, we talked so much about the mark of the beast. If he didn't want you to know about the mark of the beast, wouldn't he take it out of the Bible? That way, if it's not in there, you'll not be, you know, privy to that information. And, uh, and then you won't be aware of a mark coming and an antichrist coming and a one world government and a one world economy and all these things that we've been talking about. You wouldn't know those things if Revelation wasn't in your Bible. You wouldn't know where Satan's going to wind up and those that follow him. Why, you think that maybe you'd have a second chance in eternity and maybe you'll just go to purgatory for a while and after you roast for a while in purgatory, maybe God will mercifully let you free and let you out. But it's Revelation that tells us that's not the case. Revelation says either you're with the Lord or you're not with the Lord. And so I want us to keep that in mind as we continue our study on Revelation for the next quite a few services that we'll live stream outside of Sunday morning. Let me say all world powers have tried to work out history contrary to Revelation 19 through chapters 22. You say why? If God could be a liar, then God's not God. And so from the beginning of time, from Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 in the first messianic prophecy, all the way to Revelation 22 and everything that's taken place in between, Satan has tried to make a liar out of God. He's tried to disrupt the plan of God of the ages and for the ages. And so if he can disrupt history, then he can make God a liar. Let me give you an example of that tonight. God, Satan has tried to wipe out Israel over and over again. If he could wipe out the nation of Israel, then he can make God a liar. Because God said that Israel is going to be restored to the land. God says that Israel, God's going to be joined again to Israel like in the Old Testament times again. Jeremiah tells us that Israel's been given a bill of divorcement from God. It's just like God divorced Israel temporarily because they went spiritually after other lovers. Their other lovers, their adulterous affairs were after idolatry, spiritual idolatry. And so God divorces twice in the Bible. It says that God divorced Israel. And uh, he said, all right, you don't want me as your husband? He said, then fine, I'll let you go. But God's not through with Israel. After a period of chastisement, God's restoring Israel to the land. That began in 1948. Prophetically, that came to pass, but it's really moving fast now. Uh, through the last 70 plus years, God is moving in Israel again like never before. But if he could wipe Israel off the map, if he could give the land to the Palestinians, for example, and to, the, uh, to the Muslim world, then God's word is not true. God is a liar, and therefore nothing in the Bible is to be taken seriously or literally. So Satan is moving toward that, that purpose. But you and I both know tonight, God's plan of the ages will come to pass. Everything he's promised will be fulfilled. The promises of God are yea and amen in him. God, what he said he'll do. God is not a man that he should lie, the Bible says, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? God's going to do exactly what he says he's going to do. But the world says, no, we'll make God a liar. You better look out tonight.
before we go any further, let me say this. You better look out. Leaders in America who are trying to do the same thing and make God a liar. God said Israel gets the land. There's a land grant, a land covenant that God gave to Israel. And he made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob and his descendants. What Israel has for land right now in their borders is not even a fraction of what God gave to Abraham. What he truly gave to Abraham. And so tonight, uh, we have the UN saying, give up Jerusalem uh, to the Palestinians. Give up the West Bank to the Palestinians. Give up this land and give up the, the, uh, the you know, there in Gaza and, and give up the, uh, the, the heights there. Then give it all up the land, uh, the Golan Heights, and, and give it all up to, the, to your neighbors there that are your enemies. Why? Because they want to make a liar out of God. And yet God says, touch not the land. He said, I'll bless those that bless thee, and I'll curse those that curse thee. And the fact that God made a promise, he will curse those that curse Israel, but he'll bless those that bless Israel. So mankind's trying to move against God's kingdom. You know, God's got a plan for a kingdom to come to this world. And so what does man say? What does the nation say? No, we'll bring in the kingdom on our own. We can build it our own way. We'll do it our own way instead of God's way. And so they're trying to make a liar out of God. The book of Revelation has been rejected emphatically as having no real, no literal, no historical, no prophetic prophecies in it by what's called the amillennial and the postmillennial schools of thought in America. Let me say tonight that the amillennial and the postmillennial schools of thought, which I'll define in a moment, are the most popular schools of thought in including our Baptist seminaries in America. Once was our, our bastions of orthodoxy and a place where our, our seminary students were churning out preachers that preached and believed the Word of God. Now they're turning out seminary students that their God is higher education. Their God is now their seminary professor. Uh, their God is whatever their, their, their scholars and their professors are telling them rather than the Word of God. And they're coming out of our seminaries believing Calvinistic teachings that God is only going to let certain people saved and only let certain people wind up in hell and they've got no choice in it. You say, where are they learning this stuff from our seminaries? They're coming out now not believing in the rapture, not believing in the second advent of Jesus Christ, not believing in a literal interpretation of prophecy. Why? They're learning it in our seminaries. They've rejected these truths of Scripture. The book of Revelation teaches that all governments, all man-made churches and religions will one day be destroyed and replaced with a supernatural government that will one day have God as a ruler. And it won't be even a democracy. It will be a theocracy where God will rule and Jesus Christ will rule on an earthly throne. And the nations will flow unto his throne, and the ones that reject his leadership, according to Revelation, will be ruled with a rod of iron. The world says, no, absolutely not. And we don't believe that Jesus can ever rule on a throne, so we'll rule, and we'll bring in our kingdom, and we'll bring it in the way that we want to bring it in, not the way that God himself will bring it in. But do you know the Bible says God's word and God's will and God's way will always be accomplished? So that means that all man's efforts, all man's aims and goals 
all their motives and all their plans to bring in peace without Jesus Christ and peace without the Lord God and peace without the Word of God and peace without the rule of God Himself. It, it, it's, it, all the talk of world betterment and all the talk of disarmament and all the talk of unity means absolutely nothing without the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ Himself. And if you doubt that, read Zechariah 3, verse 8. The great objection to the book of Revelation stems from the first six verses of chapter number 20, which we'll get to. If those verses say what they say and mean what they mean, uh, if those verses will literally come to pass as God says they'll come to pass, then there'll never be peace on this earth There'll never be goodwill toward men until the one who only can bring the peace in, the Lord Jesus Christ, will return and bring that peace in himself. When he returns, and only when he returns, he will reign over a literal, physical, visible, Davidic, Jewish, political kingdom in a new Jerusalem on this earth. And the world, see, cannot accept that. They don't want to believe such a thing. And I'm afraid that many of our evangelical denominations and so-called Christian denominations cannot accept that. They reject that tonight. And so they want to bring in the kingdom on their own. There's a little saying we hear in our Baptist churches often. And I don't say this to pick because I've heard it for 42 years I've heard it. But I'll hear it as we, we take up an offering or something like that will be said. Or somebody will say that we, we take this or we do that for the building of thy kingdom. The building of thy kingdom. And you know, that's a, I understand most people say that in innocency and they don't understand. But we're not bringing in the kingdom by offerings. We're not bringing in the kingdom by our deeds or by our works or by our measures. There, if the, the Lord's kingdom is dependent on our Baptist offerings, let me tell you, it's never coming. It's never going to come. Uh, we're not building a kingdom on our own, a kingdom on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus taught us to pray, is not by our efforts, is not by our works, is not by our offerings, or our finances, or our support. It comes through the one that brings in the kingdom, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He alone can bring in his kingdom, and praise God tonight, he alone will bring in his kingdom. The book of Revelation deals with prophecy, but it also deals with history. And history is his story. Who is the his? It's Jesus Christ. His story, history, brings in prophecy. And the book was accepted, real quickly, by uh, by many church fathers and church leaders throughout history. For example, Papias in 69 to 156 uh, believed it. Uh, Justin Martyr, 100 to 163. Melito of Sardis, 190. Uh, Irenaeus, 130. Gregory of Nyssa, uh, 394. Didymus, 398 A.D. Uh, Basil, 330 to 379. A.D. Hillary, uh, not that Hillary that you're thinking of, but uh, but the church leader Hillary in 367 A.D. Uh, 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 Anthonius in 372 A.D. and many more. They accepted Revelation as part of the canon of Scripture, as part of our Bible, and a literal interpretation of Scripture. The main bone of contention in Revelation is what's called the millennium. 
I'm sure we hear that word millennium like in Star Wars, the millennial falcon or something like that. But millennium, mil meaning thousand, annium meaning year, it has to do with the 1,000 year reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. And it's the seventh millennium of human history. Or it is called in the Old Testament a Sabbath. A Sabbath of rest. If you want to look up the references, Isaiah 14, 6-7. Matthew 19, 28. And it's mentioned six times in one chapter in Revelation alone. Revelation 20, verse 1-6. through You say, well, why do Baptists and why do so many believe in a millennial kingdom, a 1,000-year reign? Because we take a literal viewpoint. Or I should say I. It may not be everyone, but I take a literal viewpoint of revelation and prophecy. Six times in Revelation 20, the Bible says 1,000 years, and they'll reign for 1,000 years, and the devil will be bound for 1,000 years. And when 1,000 years have ended, 1,000 years, 1,000 years, 1,000 years, 1,000 years, six times to represent the 6,000 years of human history before the 7,000th year of, uh, of the kingdom is, uh, is written in Revelation 20. And so that's the main bone of contention tonight. David Gregory, the mathematician from Oxford in 1710, understood that history would go 6,000 years from Adam to the coming of Jesus Christ. Rabbi uh, Baal-Catrium in 1734 said the same thing. The Chaldeans in 600 to 400 B.C. believed that mankind would go 6,000 years before a major event with the coming of a Messiah. Zoroaster taught the same thing. Uh, the, the Tuscans taught the same thing. The Persians taught the same thing in 300 to 1900. Irenaeus in 130 A.D. Uh, Apollomus in the 3rd century. Cyprian in 200 to 258. Lactinus in 260 to 258. Justin Martyr in 100-163 all taught the same thing. History will move 6,000 years. After the 6,000 years of human history, a major change is going to take place where there will be a 1,000 years of peace upon this earth. Where did they get that from? They got it from the Word of God. Psalms 90 verse 4 says that a 1,000 years of mankind's history is but one day to God. It's like one day in the past, yesterday, to God. Second uh, Peter 3 verse 8 says, Be not ignorant of this one thing. Meaning we're to know it, we're to understand it, we're to grasp it and get it. That a thousand years to man is one day to God. And one day is as a thousand years uh, to, to man. So that's where we're moving. We are now at that point in history. And so we're just waiting for the coming of Jesus Christ that could happen at any moment. If you doubt that, go back and watch some of our previous uh, broadcasts, our previous uh, Bible studies, as we've talked about that at length. Do you know, in fact, all major evangelists, as far as I'm aware, all major evangelists in America since 1900 were what we call premillennialists in their views of prophecy. I'm talking about everyone from M.R. DeHaan to Billy Sunday to J. Frank Norris to Lee Robertson to Billy Graham. They believed in the coming of Jesus Christ, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to set up a visible, earthly, literal kingdom. They believe there's going to come a moment 
where the Lord is going to descend himself and he will rule and reign in Jerusalem for a thousand years. You say, Brother Ben, is that your teaching? No, that has been taught by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of preachers and pastors and missionaries and scholars and teachers for the last 2,000 years. But I take it further than that. It is taught in Scripture. So it doesn't matter so much to me if Billy Graham taught it or not as much as what did Peter teach. Peter taught Jesus is coming back again. What did John teach? John taught Jesus is coming back again. What did Jesus teach? Jesus taught he is coming back again. And when he comes, things are going to be different than they are in this world that we're in now. Now, there's three main views of interpretation connected with the book of Revelation. There are, and I don't mean to be facetious when I say this, but there is the correct view, the incorrect view, and the half-correct view. So there are those that are correct in their teaching of Revelation. There are those that are incorrect. And there are those that are kind of in the middle, halfway correct. We can look at it this way. There's the futurist, there's the preterist, and there is the historical view of Revelation. Those lead up to the three main types of views when it comes to this 1,000-year reign because that's the problem mainly in Revelation is the view on the kingdom. That's why it's so despised and hated and rejected is over this kingdom. So I want you to understand those views. The first view is the premillennial view. The premillennial view, the view of D.L. Moody, the view of uh, C.I. Schofield, the view uh, of uh, uh, Clarence Larkin, the view of Billy Graham and Billy Sunday, and the, the, the view of D.L. Moody, like I said, and Charles Haddon Spurgeon and R.A. Torrey and Finney and Wesley. I mean, you go back, Whitfield, it's the idea that there is coming a kingdom that is based on Scripture and the premillennial view is the view that the Lord Jesus returns before the millennium and he alone sets up the kingdom on earth and will come back with him and rule and reign with him for that thousand years. Pre-meaning four, millennium being mil meaning a thousand, annium meaning year. So he comes back before the kingdom. There's the preterist view and that teaches that the events in Revelation for the most part have happened in the past. None of Revelation has a future fulfillment. They believe that we read Revelation like I'd read the book of Exodus. It happened in the past. It's all been fulfilled in some form in the past. It was all symbolic of things that happened in history in the past. So they teach that everything in chapters 1 through 22 had a past fulfillment. And uh, some of them take a view that there is a future advent of some sort or a judgment that should ahead, but most of it is not to be taken literally. And by the way, that view was primarily founded by a, uh, a Jesuit priest, I should say, in Spain in 1614. And it caught on, and many believe that view today. They believe things like this. They believe the book of Revelation is inferior literature. Can you imagine thinking the book of the Bible is inferior they believe the Lord's Day is Sunday, not the day, a thousand year reign of Jesus Christ. They believe the dragon mentioned over and over again in Revelation, like Revelation 12, verse 1 through 4, is the Roman Empire. They believe the man-child that's mentioned in chapter 12, verse 1 through 4, is the church. They believe the Antichrist is not a future Antichrist, but was one in the past. It was Nero. Remember the Emperor Nero. They believe that that was the Antichrist. And that the, the second coming of Jesus Christ is not in the future. It happened in the past. 
and, and it was in the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. Can you imagine? That's their view. And yet hundreds of thousands today take that view. But the historical view is much better. And I say that sarcastically. They believe that the angel, Revelation 18.13, is the Holy Spirit, or it's the Pope, or it's St. John, or it was St. Paul, or it potentially could have been Christ, like Matthew Henry uh, uh, taught in Revelation 8.13. They believe that the falling star in Revelation 9, verse 1, was an evil spirit, or a heretic, or Emperor uh, Valens, or Muhammad, or Napoleon. It's a historical view. Everything happened in the past. Both views date the book of Revelation around the reign of Nero as far as its fulfillment. Somewhere around 65 to 69 AD. And they view everything from pagan Rome versus papal Rome. And then all scriptures have no fulfillment since it's all happened in the past and none of it then is about the future. But I'll say this if you're keeping notes tonight. The correct date of Revelation is somewhere around A.D. 91 to A.D. 96 during the reign of Domitian. It's the last great glorious book of the Bible. It's the end of all things. Everything is revealed. And in the world to come, we see the events that will take place there, the events going on now, and the things that will happen in the near future. The world trembles at the thought of Revelation being literal and being true. And that's why they look at it as spiritualized and as figurative and as symbolic and apocalyptic and obscure. Even that word apocalyptic doesn't mean something cannot be known. It means it's something that can be known. It is a mystery, but it's a mystery that can be revealed and is revealed. And so Revelation tonight is not something we can't understand. It's something we can understand. In fact, in my view of Revelation, in all the times I've read through the Bible, I'm just about through with reading it again already uh, in the past couple of months from Genesis to Revelation. I believe, personally, the book of Revelation is perhaps the plainest Bible, a book of the Bible to understand. It is absolutely plain. It's written about at a sixth grade reading level. The words in it are not large words. It's not a bunch of three, four, five syllable words. It's very simple words, easy to read, easy to understand. And so the, it's a plain book of the Bible. And yet the problem with Revelation is not that it's hard to understand. is that it's hard to believe. The world and even the church can't believe what they're reading in Revelation. They can't believe that there is a beast that could come out of the sea. They can't believe that there's a place called the bottomless pit. They can't conceive that there is a, a place underneath us, an abyss that has a king over it, that one day will be opened up and out will come these hellish monstrous beasts that will come out of it. They can't believe that there's angels in the river Euphrates unseen to National Geographic. But the Bible says they're there. They can't believe these things, not because it's hard to understand, but because it's hard to believe. And yet the Bible says it is a book most precious because it is a love letter written directly by God to the churches. You and I are part of the church tonight that are saved. He wrote this letter to us 
And he said this is, in fact, it's the only book that directly is given by God to the churches and is commanded to be read in the churches, and yet it's the one book that is condemned being read to the churches. This book shows us the plan of God for the lost, the plan of God for the church, the plan of God for the world, the plan of God for Satan, the Jew, the Gentile, you name it. And it's been signed, sealed, and delivered by God the Father and through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. With those things in mind, if you would look in Revelation chapter number 1, in verse number 1, the Bible says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Let me stop and say, we often say the revelation of John. In fact, even in my Bible here, the heading says the revelation of John. John the divine. But if you read the first verse, it's not the revelation of John. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ given to John. And he says that it's things which must come to pass shortly. But he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Verse number two, who bear record of the word of God. And of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth. And they that hear the words of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written therein. For the time is at hand. Let me stop and say this. This book, verse number three, you ought to underline it, highlight it, memorize it. Uh, I, I'm quoting these verses to you from memory because it's so precious to me. When I think about these first three verses right here. He said this book is promised a blessing to those that hear the words of this prophecy and read it. I don't know about you tonight, but if you want a blessing from God, and I hope you do, I certainly do, then here's a guaranteed blessing. Read Revelation and hear it read or hear it taught. Taking information into our eyes and ears, we digest spiritual food, the bread of life, the bread of the word of God. And he said there's a special blessing promised to those that read it and those that hear it. And that means someone that's blind can even get the blessing because they could hear it even if they can't read it. There is a blessing to those that hear it and read it. And he said keep those things which are written therein. I just told you the world and even the church is trying to take the things out of it. Revelation 22 closes with the warning to not add or take away from the word of God. Because the world wants to change and, and, and alter what they want in the Bible to suit their needs and their plans and goals. But the blessing is reading it and hearing it and believing the things that are written therein. And thank God for that last little phrase, for the time is at hand. That means simply it's near. It's at the door. It's close. Look in verse number four. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and was and is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory forever, glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, 
And they also which pierced him. Remember the piercings in his hands and feet. And they also which pierced him. And all kingdoms of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega. That's A and Z in our alphabet. That's Alpha is the A of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the Z of the Greek alphabet. The beginning and the ending, saith the, the Lord, which is and was and which is to come, the Almighty. Now let me stop, and I'm not going to get into a lot of commentary on these verses. That will begin in our next study. This is just an introduction. But this is written to the seven churches in verse number 4. And then it speaks of Jesus who was and is and is to come. His past, his present, and his future offices, which we'll look at later on. His past as a prophet, his present as a priest, his future as a coming king. The seven spirits, capital S, that are before the throne of God. We'll look at that as we get into verse number four and our commentary later on. But look in verse number five. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. He's the only one that rose from the dead by his own accord. And the prince and the king of the earth, of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. To those that say the blood of Jesus Christ is not significant or important tonight. We are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. There's power in the blood. Wonder working power. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's what this verse is telling us. Verse 6, And hath made us kings and priests unto God. You may not feel like a king or a queen tonight. You may not feel like a priest tonight, but I don't need a priest, a Catholic priest to run to. I am a priest, not because I'm a preacher, but because I'm a blood-washed child of God. Every one of you listening to this tonight, if you're saved and know Jesus Christ as your Savior and been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, you are your own priest to God, and Jesus is our high priest. And one day you're going to rule and reign with him as kings, according to the word of God. You don't feel like a king or a queen now, but in God's eyes, you have royal blood in your veins. You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And we'll get into that more later. Verse number seven, behold, he coming with the clouds uh, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him and all kindred of the earth shall well because of him. Even so, amen. Now remember, there's a difference between the first part of of the second advent, the rapture, and the visible part. One party comes for the church, the next party comes with the church. He comes at the rapture of the church, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, 1 Corinthians 15. He comes uh, uh, only to the church, only appears to the church, secretive, at night, like a thief in the night, suddenly, unawares of this, to this world. But the second coming, he's not hiding anything. He comes back visibly to the whole world. The whole world will see him. And they're not going to be excited about his coming. They're going to resent his coming. They're going to be against his coming. And they're going to cry out against his coming. But they will see his return. Verse number 8. He said, I'm Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. Saith the Lord which is and was and which is to come the Almighty. Verse 9. By the way, verse 8, the Almighty, capital 8. That's another reason why they hate the book of Revelation. Revelation deifies Jesus Christ and equates Jesus with God the Father. You see, the, the, you have groups like the Mormon Church and the Jehovah's Witnesses and others who believe that Jesus is not the Son of God, God incarnate, 
but he's one of many sons of God, including Satan, Lucifer was a son of God. And they believe that there's many gods and that Jesus was just a begotten God, not a act, not God manifest in the flesh. So they don't believe in the Trinity in the way that we do. But John says that uh, through Jesus Christ, I might add, that Jesus is the Almighty. He has the title of Jehovah God, Adonai, the Anointed One, the Lord God Almighty, the I Am. He shares that title with him. Verse number nine. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle which is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me, a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes as a flame of fire. His feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars of the seven angels are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now, folks, there's a lot of information in this one little chapter. I want it tonight to be an introduction to Revelation to kind of get you into the book of Revelation as an introduction. And we're going to take this verse by verse, passage by passage, as we go through the book of Revelation. But there's so much in here, but I want you to understand that there are three views of Scripture before I say anything else in our study of Revelation. All views of Scripture, all Scripture has three applications. A historical view a doctrinal view, and a spiritual view. Uh, uh, there's the, the doctrinal view, there is the historical view, and there is the spiritual view. And doctrinally, these seven churches, or historically, I should say, these seven churches literally existed. They had a physical address. Thyatira was a literal church. Ephesus was a literal church. Smyrna, Pergamos, Laodicea were literal churches and literal towns, just like where I live in Monroe, North Carolina. Now, the problem would be when you'd say under the church uh, uh, in Monroe, North Carolina, who would get the letter? Uh, I would hope we'd get it, but the church down the road would hope they'd get it. And there's probably a hundred more around us that would think they would get it. But these churches literally existed. 
These were words literally given to these churches that were there. The literal context, the literal interpretation. But there's also a historical view. And the historical view is that these churches literally existed, but doctrinally and spiritually they make up application to them and to us as well, which we'll see as we take each one of these churches church by church, piece by piece, to what the Lord says unto them in chapters 2 and chapters number 3. I'll say this in closing to this introduction. When John sees the vision of Jesus Christ, his image of Jesus does not match the traditional view of Jesus Christ. For example, if you were to see a, a movie about Jesus, or if you were to see a painting about Jesus, or a carving, a statue about Jesus, he almost always looks pretty much the same. He's got long flowing, usually brown hair. Sometimes he's got blue eyes. He's got chiseled features. He's about six foot, six foot two tall. He's got beautiful teeth, and I mean, his eyes are set just so, and his beard is trimmed just so, and you know, he's always wearing the certain garment that he's wearing, and all of that, and we've got that image of Jesus in our mind. But when John sees Jesus now, his post-resurrection body, that would resemble the transfiguration of Jesus uh, in the Gospels, there we see Jesus quite different than what mainstream Christianity and Hollywood paints the picture of Jesus Christ. For example, the Bible says in verse number 10, I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. When we hear, when we watch the movies about Jesus, he's very soft-spoken. He's a very quiet, soft-spoken Jesus, which does not support Scripture because in the Gospels it says he spoke with authority. He spoke with authority and not as a scribes. So when he spoke, he spoke with power. When he spoke, he, he spoke. Uh, the Bible says that you're to, a preacher is to raise his voice like a trumpet. That's why we're to be loud preachers. You'd blow a trumpet, not quietly, but loud. You're to sound an alarm, to sound a trumpet. And he spoke with authority. Well, here he speaks like a trumpet in verse number, uh, in verse number 10. But in verse number 15, his voice then is compared to many waters. I don't know if you've ever been to a waterfall. There was one in Kentucky where we live. There's the Cumberland Falls. And that waterfall is so loud at times you can barely hear yourself speak. If you've been to Niagara Falls, it's even a, a louder body of water than that. When John is trying to explain his description of Jesus, he said his voice is like a trumpet and his voice is like many waters. But he also sees him in a vision in verse 13. He said he's clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps, his chest with the golden girdle. That's the priestly attire of the Levitical priest in the Old Testament. There in Exodus and in Leviticus, we see the description of the priests that were there. And they had that golden girdle that they wore around them. His head and his head was white like wool. No longer does he have the long flowing brown hair like we see in the imagery, which I don't believe he had brown hair anyway. He had black hair. The picture of him is in Songs of Solomon, which we'll get into in our next study on Wednesday night. And so in Songs of Solomon, we see a vivid picture of him there. But his uh, head and his hair, his head and his hair, that's his beard and his head is white. He now is the Ancient of Days of Daniel. 
wisdom we associate with white hair. And, uh, and the Ancient of Days has the white hair upon his head. No longer the long flowing brown or black hair, but now the white hair that is there. And his skin, the Bible says, looks like, uh, uh, like brass that's burned in a furnace. He's not white like white people think Jesus is. And he's not black like a lot of the black people think Jesus is. I've seen black figurines of Jesus. If you were to see his skin today, his skin is the color of copper. It is the color of burnished brass, like brass burning in a furnace. That's the color of his feet and his skin. And there's several Old Testament references of his skin being that color as well. His eyes are not baby blue. His eyes now is like looking into a fire. In fact, his eyes are the ones that will, will burn our works of the judgment seat of Christ. His eyes are as a flame of fire. And the Bible says that he has in his hand seven stars. We're going to get into what those seven stars are. He's walking in a seven-pronged candlestick. That seven-pronged candlestick is the Jewish menorah. That, that Moses was commanded by God on Mount Sinai to make for Israel. And that menorah, that seven-pronged candlestick, was placed inside the tabernacle in the holy place, and the light of those lamps shone upon this, uh, the, uh, the twelve loaves of bread upon the table of showbread in the tabernacle that was there. We're going to get into the stars. We'll get into the candlestick which is representative of angels that represent each church. And the Bible says his countenance, the way he appears, is like staring into the sun, as the sun when he shineth in his strength. The vision is so powerful that when John sees the vision, he falls at the feet of the angel there, the angel of the Lord, as a dead man. Jesus puts his right hand upon him, picks him up, says, Fear not, verse number 17, I'm the first and the last. He said, I'm he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And he shows him keys in his hand. And he said, I have the keys of hell and death. Where did he get those keys? He got the keys when he died on the cross and was buried before he ascended up to God. He led captivity captive. He brought deliverance unto men. And he closed up that paradise that was there in the Old Testament. And now he has the answer. The solution is simply to eternity. is faith in Jesus Christ alone. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In verse number 20, he says that these seven churches that are mentioned, in verse number 11, he said, are going to be spoken to and write these things and send it to those churches that were there. They received the message with a literal church that was there. Historically, they were there. But spiritually, here's what I believe. Spiritually, these seven churches represent the seven church ages over the last 2,000 years that culminates in the last church of, of Laodicea who has nothing good said about that church. And God says that you're poor and wretched and miserable and blind and naked. And what follows the last church, that's the worst church, is chapter 4 of Revelation, which is a picture of the rapture of the church, one of only two times when heaven is open in Revelation, and heaven is open to receive John, a voice, come up hither, 
and John is absent from his body and present with the Lord Jesus Christ there at his coming. And he sees there uh, at that moment, he sees the revelation unfolding. Now personally, and I, I'm just about through, but personally, I don't believe he received just a, a pictualized vision of revelation. I believe that he was transported through time to the one that is and was and is to come, past, present, and the future. And he saw the events unfold before him. In a moment of time, on the Isle of Patmos, John was in the spirit, was raptured out temporarily to see this vision. And he saw things that he could not write that would make sense not only not to John, but for us for 2,000 years. For example, how in the world would John write about nuclear war? How would he write about submarines and aircraft carriers and F-16s and F-15s and F-14s? How in the world would he write about B-52s and spy planes and, and missiles and, and the military that we have today and technology that we have today? He wrote in a way so that we can all understand the Word of God in the time that we're living in. For a man that was living in 200, 300, 400 A.D., Revelation can make sense to him because if he would have said, you know, rockets and battleships and nuclear warfare, it would have made no sense to him in his day and age. So he's transported through time, sees all the events happen. And it's almost like if you're watching a movie and you fast forward to the end and then you rewind back to where your place was while you're watching it. I believe that John was at a moment in time we know where he was there around that 90-some uh, A.D. on the Isle of Patmos. There's a prisoner for his faith in Jesus Christ. And there he sees these events in 2020 and beyond. And as he sees these events, he comes back, writes these things down as God gives him inspiration. And we're going to take them piece by piece in our studies that are yet to follow. I'd like to say as well that John, who writes this book of Revelation, is the disciple whom Jesus loved, John the Beloved. Not John the Elder, not John, you know, uh, there's other Johns that are said to be the writer of Revelation. No, it's the same one that wrote the Gospel of John, the same one that wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, writes Revelation. You can tell it by his, uh, the language of Revelation, his style of writing, and so many other things we see that is there. There's 22 chapters, 404 verses, and 12,000 uh, words that are there. Uh, in fact, uh, right at 12,000 words in Revelation. As I said, it's written about AD 90. Uh, they're trying to change even the dating now, where it used to be BC before Christ and AD, uh, which represented the year of our Lord. And now it's BCE, before the common era. And they're trying to change how people even view history as it revolves around Jesus Christ. I'll close this part of our introduction with a basic outline that we're going to look at in Revelation. The introduction of Revelation is obviously chapter number one. The church age is the second part of Revelation, which covers chapters two and chapters three. Then there's the first account of the tribulation in chapter 4, 5, 6, and 7, which is a rapture, a heavenly scene, an earthly 
uh, uh, events that are, that are unfolding and an intermission in chapter number 7. We're going to see the fourth section, which is the second account of the tribulation. With the sounding of the trumpets, demons coming up out of the pit, an intermission in chapter number 10. And in chapter number 11, the two witnesses are mentioned that come and preach and then are executed and then are raptured out, which we'll get into who those two witnesses are in chapter number 11. Then there's another part of Revelation, a third account of the tribulation. Chapter 12, Israel is in the wilderness. Chapter 13, Satan and his prophets, his false prophets. Chapter 14, the battle of Armageddon. Then we get into the next section of Revelation, the fourth account of the tribulation. Under chapter 15, the seven angels. Under chapter 16, the seven vials of wrath. Chapter 17 is kind of an intermission in Revelation. Chapter 18 is also a continuation of this intermission. Chapter 19 again is the battle of Armageddon. We go to the next section of Revelation. The resurrection is mentioned in chapter number 20. And in chapter number 21, we find chapter 20, the resurrection and eternity, the 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ. Chapter 21, eternity in heaven with the Lord, a new heaven, a new earth that is there. And then the final warning of chapter number 22, the threat uh, in Revelation 22, the final warning, the final invitation is found in chapter number 22. So these 22 chapters, we're going to take verse by verse, passage by passage, looking at a, a book that I believe literally, I believe absolutely prophetically, not because it's hard to understand, but it's hard to believe. But in faith tonight, I believe it, and I pray that you'll believe it as well as we take it verse by verse and let God bless you simply for hearing Revelation and reading the words that are written therein. Um, there, I'll close by saying this. If you want a couple of good apps on your phone or your iPad, uh, Blue Letter Bible is a pretty good free app. has a good search engine and all of that. I use Blue Letter Bible on my phone and on my, my, uh, my uh, you know, iPad and all of that. Blue Letter Bible. But there's also a program called Bible.is. Bible is. Bible.is. You can look at it in the app store. And Bible is is a free program that has the Bible. You can scroll down to English because it's in many languages. I mean, they have it in just about every language you can think of. Uh, but you scroll down to English, and then you can get down, for example, to the King James version in English. And there's two different versions of the King James in English. You can have just someone reading you, the Bible to you on your phone out loud, an audio Bible program like uh, we think of Alexander Scurby or somebody like that. Johnny Cash, I believe, read the New Testament. Uh, and uh, uh, and uh, I can't remember his name, but the guy that played Darth Vader also um, read the Bible through. And so sometimes those are popular CDs or, or programs you can get, used to be cassette to, to listen to the Bible. Uh, but Bible is, Bible.is. Go to the Eng download that free app, go to the English tab, go to the King James Bible tab, and you can either have somebody reading it to you like you'd think of, uh, of you know, Alexander Scurby reading it, or there's also a dramatized version. 
Now, I know when we hear drama, a bunch of people sigh, and I'm one of, one of them if the drama's not done right, and we become drama crazy in our generation. But in this sense, the drama part is actually really intriguing for me. I enjoy it because when it's a woman's voice, it's a woman reading the Bible. When it's, you know, two or three different characters in the same passage, then there's a different person's voice for that passage. Uh, for example, in Job chapter number one, you know, uh, somebody's reading Job and as the character of Job, but when Satan is speaking, someone reads as Satan, which I'm glad I don't have that part, but somebody read as Satan speaking before God. When it's God's part, somebody else is reading for God in his part. So you may not like that. You may not just want to straight the same person reading it through, but you can have the Bible read to you, free app, Bible.is, in either a standard, just the same voice reading you the Bible, or in a dramatized version on that app. I, I read the Bible, you know, every day reading the Bible with my own eyes. But I also use that app to listen a lot of times. Uh, and while I'm reading, I listen to the Bible sometimes as well. And it don't have to be where I'm reading. If I'm reading through where my place is now, I'm reading with my eyes. But where I'm actually listening to with the Bible is at a different place. But I do that because faith cometh by hearing, by reading, and, uh, and reading by the Word of God, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes both ways. We're blessed by hearing it, and we're blessed by reading it according to Revelation. So hear it and read it. You can plug that app into your, your car or through Bluetooth and listen to the Bible. Uh, you, it, it leaves off where you left off. Anytime you open it back up, it's where you were again. But just want to put a little plug in there because you can listen to Revelation. You say, I don't have time to read it. Well, maybe you got time to listen to it. Uh, those are great apps to use. The chart behind me, I'll say as well, we're going to get into a lot of that. I'll, I'll post pictures of close-ups so that you can see. And I'll also give you a link where you can buy a smaller version of it, of this chart. It's a version about two foot long. And so if you'd like to get that, that uh, uh, you know, that uh, chart for your own personal use, then you can order that chart. It's only about three or six bucks, something like that. I'm always looking for good charts. I found another one here recently, and I want to share this with you, and I'm through. Um, this is a chart that is a hand-painting chart to Revelation. And I don't know how well you can see this or not. If you can see this, it goes all the way through the book of Revelation. And it's kind of hard to see, and I know I'm holding it up, and it's kind of crooked and, and distorted and all that. But this is a beautiful chart. As you can see, it's only this long. And I will also give you the link where you can get this chart. Order it for yourself online, and it may help you in your own personal study as you go through Revelation in your own time as well as our study going through Revelation, where I'll need to make reference to certain things that are in the future. I'll be able to do that. Or, you know, with seven trumpets, personages, vials, dooms, all of this, you'll be able to follow along as we go through each chapter. So I'll put those links below, and uh, hopefully it'll be a blessing to you if you want to purchase those on your own. And, uh, and they're great resources that I use all the time. Uh, but I want to thank you for joining me in our study tonight. 
just a, a, an introduction to Revelation. We'll get into more of chapter number one next Bible study on Wednesday night. Lord willing, at 6 o'clock Wednesday night, we'll continue our study. May the Lord bless you. Have a wonderful evening together. Make sure that you comment in this post. Share this post. And, uh, and I believe that you're going to be blessed as we go through the study of Revelation together. God bless you, and have a blessed day.